0: The following message, entitled, What a Christian is Called to Look Like, was given by C.B. Etter on November 11, 2012 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Loved being here yesterday, just hanging out with your elders here in the church, and getting extended time with Mark last night, and Mark's Mark's just a renaissance man, I I just love that. like, he's a painter, he's a, he's like a darn songwriter, he's a guitar player, is there anything that this guy doesn't do, I I, I love that, and uh, yeah, just, I mean, he does all kinds of things, and uh, you know, he's a philosopher, he's just got all kinds of just mystical things about him, that the more I find out about him, and then during the Highlander games, I kind of wondered if he was going to be like one of those guys be like, ah, I don't really want to do that. And I look to my right and there's Mark Altrugi with this log in his hand right next to me pushing with all of his might. And I'm like, he's also a man's man. So he's like this artist. He's like David playing the harp and then slicing somebody's head off with a sword. I love this guy. I can follow this brother. My goodness. And so I just enjoy getting to know Mark and being with him more and more every day. And... Uh, Yeah, I just love our, you know, I love our partnership together. We have Mark in in September in our church, and it just goes both ways. The impact your church is having on ours and my family, our church. Mm -hmm. Love when I get to come out here and be with you all. And and this is sweet, just what we have, you know, and just thank God for it. Romans chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 16 this morning and love this passage of scripture. Let's let's dig in together. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. The title of the message this morning is What a Christian is Called to Look Like. What a Christian is Called to Look Like. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, you have acted upon us. And for those of us in this room who have repented of our sins and trusted in Your shed blood on the cross as our only hope of salvation, Lord, we are are saved. By Your mercies, we are saved. And Lord, You call us to live lives that are holy and godly and You command us to, to be this way. Lord, I pray that you would fill us up with a holy resolve to grow all of us as believers in this room into being Christians who make it the passion of our lives to fulfill this passage of Scripture. We thank you so much for your saving mercies. And I pray that as we ever remind ourselves of your saving mercies, we would also continue to press in to obeying you and following you with all of our hearts. I just ask you to do that. Increase our passion for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's interesting, you know, when we look at this passage of Scripture here in 9 through 16, you know that the gospel itself isn't mentioned once. But it's important to note that as you look at the the context of this passage, it actually begins in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I just want to read that together with you. Uh, after transitioning, Romans 1-11 through 11 really is talking about just the gospel and what God has done for us in Christ. And then you get to 12, and really 12-16, through 16, that transition there in Romans is all about sort of the way the gospel is meant to flow out in a life of fruitfulness and godliness to the Lord. It's sort of like the way the gospel should lead us to live. And it says this to indicate this transition. This is a big transition verse here in 12, 1, and 2. As many of you know, it says this. By the mercies of God, and and continually keeping God's saving mercies in front of you, never forgetting Romans one through eleven. Let us look at the fact that God is calling us to always have our eyes on His mercies, but for those mercies to fuel us into a life where we are presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. We are presenting. This Old Testament language here of a living sacrifice is is meant to point us back to the Old Testament animal sacrifices where those animals gave up their whole lives to be the sacrifice which ultimately pointed to our Savior Jesus' sacrifice when He died on the cross. This living sacrifice, this presenting your bodies, is meant to to speak to a wholehearted devotion a, a wholehearted commitment as a follower of Jesus Christ, to not be half hearted in our commitment to discipleship, but in view of those mercies we we, we offer up our bodies it 's just this this call to like Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament to be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, to not hold anything back in this short earthly life that the lord 's given to us to Run this race for Jesus all out while we have life in our body. So thankful for the example of JJ and so many others in this church. You are running like this, Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana. Let us remember, though, that we are not at the finish line yet. There have been many years of faithful service and sacrifice by so many of you. And, but listen, let's remember that the finish line is our dying breath. And may it be the spirit of this church and all of us in sovereign grace, every Christian that we have in mind, Lord, I want to run this race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us remember that there is a race to run. There is a fight to fight. Paul gets stunned at the very end in 2 Timothy. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. And there almost is this mindset sometimes when you're talking to some believers that there's almost like this forgetting that we are in a spiritual battle, that we are in a fight. And listen, I've got good news for some of you in this room. If you're feeling like you're just in warfare right now in your own soul, that there's a fight that you were just experiencing constantly, be encouraged. You're born again. That's normal. But more for me is where I've got to be on guard is if I'm ever encountering long pockets of time where, you know, I'm just not even feeling a fight at all. I'm just kind of on cruise control. There's no... Spirit of, the Second Timothy says, to make every effort to add to your faith godliness. Make every effort. Strive. And that, that spirit that you see all throughout the New Testament, but also here in Romans 12, of, listen, always keep the mercies of God in view. Never forget all that He's done. But, in view of those mercies, present your body as a living sacrifice. Give Jesus, right here, right now, everything in you. And say, Lord, today I repent and you get all of me. And this passage here, Romans twelve nine through 16, what's cool about this is that concept of present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship, That's sort of a concept that can kind of be hard to fully grasp. What I love about 9 through 16 is it's a section of Scripture that fleshes that out. It puts sort of practicals to how that's meant to look in every one of our lives. and So we want to look in there and see that. I I, I think one other point to mention in relation to this is that obedience in the Christian life, it matters. It matters. I think that there can sometimes be this mindset that we can drift into that when I'm saved by grace, pressing into obedience, you know, it really doesn't matter because I'm already forgiven of my past, present, and future sins. And all of that's true, but what you see in Scripture is, listen, in light of that, in light of the fact that you've been forgiven of all your past, present, and future sins, press in and make every effort. Offer your body as a living sacrifice, wholehearted devotion, all of who you are. Mark Devers said about this, that salvation is by grace alone through faith in Christ alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It is always accompanied by visible acts and evidences. So, I mean, people, you know, shouldn't be needing to look into our lives and like, you say you're a Christian? That's interesting because I, I never knew that. It'd be hard for me to tell. Like it, it should be obvious teens, to your mom and dad that you're on the pathway leading to Christ. It, it shouldn't have to be like straining at gnats to try to find fruit. Fruit should be just hanging from the tree in, in my life. And if it's not, I've got to ask, Lord, what's going on here in my heart? And so there's this mindset in the Scriptures that we are constantly resting in grace, and at the same time, we're fighting the fight. It's both. At the same time. We rest fighting and we fight resting in the mercies of God. And that is healthy in the Christian life. I was talking with a woman in our church uh, not too long back and was talking about this passage here which really just calls you to wholehearted commitment. It's really a Challenging passage of scripture. I'm excited to dig into it together uh, this morning. But um, she was just saying that. Yeah, I was just talking to some of my girlfriends in another church, and she was just saying that I was telling them that I really want to grow in the Word. I really want to grow in prayer. I, I really want to grow in just being, you know, less critical and judgmental toward other people. And she was just like expressing her heart to just want to live a life wholeheartedly pleasing to the Lord. And the counsel that she got back from her well-meaning Christian friends was you know what, that's just works righteousness. That's legalism. And there's almost like this mindset in some that whenever you start to talk about or want to take obedience in the Christian life seriously, like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's almost like people tend to link obedience with works righteousness automatically, like that they're synonymous. And what we need to recognize is that no, Christian obedience, when it's walked out in the right motives, when it's being conducted constantly in view of God's mercies, as Romans 12 is talking about, is not legalism. It is a, it's not works righteousness. No, you know what? That's a wonderful instinct in the life of every true Christian to want to say as you look at the cross and see your Savior hanging there and dying for you, To say, Jesus, all my sins have been washed away. Lord, I have been bought with a price by that blood. And now I offer my body unto you as a living sacrifice. Lord, my life, as Corinthians says, is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I am, as the Word of God says, I am your slave. I was a slave to sin. Now I'm a slave to righteousness. This joyful slavery that Scripture talks about where Following Jesus is just a passion and great ambition of our life, but also a sense of, Lord, I am your slave. I'm your servant. I am called. This is my holy obligation to hold nothing back and to give it all to you. And I was just able to encourage her that, no, listen, that wasn't, sister, that's not legalism. I think it's awesome. I think it's so pleasing to God that you want to read the Word the goal of wanting to read the Bible in a year that you're talking about to me, that's awesome. Now listen, can that drift into legalism? Certainly, but that desire right up front isn't automatically legalism. I want to encourage all of us, let's make goals. Let's get to know our Old Testaments better. Let's dig in and press in hard to Christ. And listen, every Christian is equally justified. In the eyes of God. When they believe in Christ, they, are, they have received, as Second Peter 1 says, a faith of equal standing with ours, Peter talks about. In other words, all the apostles and great men and women all throughout church history, not one of them have ever been more justified than you are right now. And that's awesome news. But there are Christians who live lives more pleasing to the Lord in relation to sanctification Obedience. There are Christians who are more obedient to Christ, and I think we need to look at that and say, "Lord, let me not forget that." Lord, there is the great judgment day coming, where yes, we will have the great white throne judgment, where the sheep are separated from the goats, and the sheep are gathered to be with the Lord. And thank God that just because of the cross, I'm on one of His sheep, and and the goats will be separated and sent to hell. But I'll be amongst the precious sheep of the Lord all because of Christ and nothing because of me. But there's also the judgment seat of Christ. And that is a judgment for believers where believers' works will be judged and will stand before the Lord. What's interesting is, and we tend to get scared of that judgment, 1 Corinthians 4 says that that judgment, when it's done and as it's being conducted and afterwards, it says at that time, each one will receive his commendation from God. It's not gonna be any. Okay, here comes the hammer blow from God on my life here. The way we all fear it can be, it's it's gonna be this like, remember that cup of cold water that you gave in my name? I saw that. And like just it's gonna be awesome. But there's like this ambition that Scripture calls us to have to not forget that day that, that the great white throne judgment means I am forever saved and I'm one of God's sheep, and nothing's gonna ever separate me from the love of God in Christ because I'm his, I'm one of his sheep, and that's all because of the cross. But the, the good news is, is that we also are called to live a life that has an ambition to it. To like Lord, not for my glory, but for yours. I'm going to stand before you one-on-one and I'm going to give an account for what I've done in my body, whether good or bad. There's a sense in First Corinthians 3 in a passage talking about leaders, that leaders who don't build on a good foundation of the gospel, teach false doctrine, that they will suffer loss. There's this language of what could have been. There's a sense of loss over the way that they didn't build with gold, jewels, and precious stones, but with wood, hay, and stubble. And I think that there's a sense there in Scripture that we are called to keep the judgment seat of Christ in view and, and to really be ambitious to do good works for the glory of God to do all we can to strive to, to remember that obedience to Christ matters. That, that time when we resist temptation when it's in front of us and we say no. As, as Titus says, that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to run after Jesus instead. And when you say no to that temptation and turn away, God is greatly pleased by that. Now listen, if we sin... Our standing is unaffected in Christ because we have been justified. But it is possible for me to get into the habit of just kind of taking this laissez-faire approach to obedience in the Christian life to the point where what could actually happen is, is actually my life is being lived in a way that it's actually, to be honest, it's really not bearing much fruit for the Lord. And I've got to look at that and say, as this passage is saying, listen, keeping the mercies of God in view, offer your bodies. CB, make a fresh commitment today, right here, right now. Sovereign Grace Church, let's make a commitment right here, right now. In view of those mercies, let us offer our bodies wholeheartedly to the Lord. Let us be living sacrifices that give up our lifeblood in order to follow Jesus Christ with our lives. And so, I hope that's inspiring to you. That This passage is inspiring to me. It, it's convicting, but it's also like, it paints this portrait of like what life could be like that in the power of the Spirit. And I'm just so excited. I can't wait to get into this with you. So let's, let's do that. Let's just kind of look through each one of these. They're just like these little commands. Bang, bang, bang. And they're convicting. But listen, I hope it has that effect of, with you too. Of like, I truly am inspired and excited about this passage of scripture, let's look at the first phrase. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. John Stott is saying about this, let love govern and shape all our relationships. (laughs) That the gospel delivers a Christian into a life of love. Love should characterize the Christian Remember John 13 where it says, Jesus said to his disciples, they will be able to tell that you're my disciples by how you what? How you love one another. That unbelievers who come in here and you know, interact with you, they should see the love that exists in this church between each one of you and should actually be drawn to want to become a Christian because of the love they see. And I believe that's here in this church. And let us strive to this more and more as we move forward. What this is talking about is we're we're called to love, but it's interesting. We're called to love specifically with this word, genuineness. Love genuinely or sincerely. Literally, the word means here without hypocrisy. Don't love people without hypocrisy. I think today we would say it this way. Let your love be real. Let it be real. Let it be genuine. Paul assumes, he assumes that we're going to be as Christians loving people. But God specifically calls for that love here to be genuine. It's sort of the opposite of Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. Where it's like I'm walking up and I'm showing you this outward display of love, but in my heart I'm betraying you. It's that contrast of, oh. And the contrast of that with Jesus laying down His life and saying, even as He's laying down His life for us, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. There's this genuine love of Jesus as he's being spit upon and beaten and mocked on his way to the cross and as he hangs there and dies and bears the wrath, as Joe reminded us. Bearing the wrath of God in our place as our substitute. What a great Savior. Amen. Paul is warning here about making love a mere pretense. It's sort of more of an outward display or emotion that does not conform to the true nature of God. I so desire to grow in this as well. One commentator said this, that people can be externally kind and nice and yet lack genuine love and affection for others. And this, this is one of those messages I was saying to the teens last night that I've got to constantly keep looking at my own heart because I find in messages like this, like I could be tempted to be think, oh my goodness, I hope so-and-so is listening to this. <laughs> do you ever struggle with that? I hope you do. I, I, it's just like, like oh, that was a dagger, man. I hope he, I hope he felt that one. <laughs> yeah, We laugh. I had a message a couple of weeks ago where, you know, I was just sharing this illustration where my me and my wife were in conflict and where my wife was actually right and I was wrong, but I thought I was right the whole time and had to eat humble pie over that one. And uh, I, I saw half, half the ladies in the church elbowing their husband because I was giving it. I love that. And the guy's like, I know, I'll talk to you after the service. <laughs> But it's more than this sort of this external kindness or niceness. We have to have a genuine love for all people. The target here is to the world, but specifically Paul has his eye for how we relate to one another in the church. That's the context and where the weight of this call to love is focused. And, you know, ask yourselves, brothers and sisters, am I, am I genuine in my love for all the people in this church? Um. Is there anyone that I don't genuinely love? It's probably the person that just flashed into your mind that maybe Holy Spirit wants to convict, wants to do a work, and call you to not remain in a place of holding that brother or sister in your heart hostage in a place of unforgiveness, but forgiving them if they've offended you scripture says it's to the glory of a man if you overlook an offense if there's a way that we can just overlook something to move on and act like they never said what they said to us or never made that backhand comment that was like a dagger let's treat them with the love of christ and let there not be a distance where you're like oh hey how you doing but like just in your heart you're like man that person drives me nuts you know what i mean you're supposed to be sort of a stepping toward these situations i was thinking in scripture where it says Jesus talks about like, listen. If you're going to the house of God, you're going to present your gift to the altar, and you remember that you think your brother has an offense against you. You go to him and make sure things are cool with you, and then go and present your gift. It's interesting because you got the other passage that says, if you've got a problem with your brother, take it to your brother. So it's sort of like, okay, if I got a problem, in my experience, a lot of times I'll just say, well, I don't have a problem with them. We're good. But if you're aware that a brother or sister might possibly have an offense against you, Scripture also says, go and reconcile with them. If you're even aware that things aren't really good and the air is not good between the two of you, sometimes I go up to a brother and just even say, hey, man, are we cool? Are we good? You know, I know that we were talking about some things the other night and just want to make sure you know I love you and I'm for you. And same thing with other guys toward me. And that's that's genuine love, protecting the unity of the Spirit In the church, letting love be genuine. And I think also just um, asking myself, do I really care about this person? (laughs) You know, as you're having a conversation with somebody, and perhaps if the conversation goes a lot longer than you had even anticipated, just do I genuinely love them? Am I really fixated on really being there for them in their hour of need or their moment of need? Or am I kind of counting the seconds till this conversation can be over so I can get on doing what I want to do? Um, genuine love sits with somebody for an hour and talks with them in a time when you weren't expecting for that conversation to turn into an hour and you do that just because you love Jesus so much you just want to pour out genuine love to your brother to your sister you know I think people are constantly gauging is his love for me genuine or is her love for me genuine and people are subjectively reading it on our face you know it's not just the words we speak but it's Sort of, um, you know, they're just gauging. Does he really care? Does she really care? And ask yourself, are you the type of person where people say yes? And as a genuine Christian who really genuinely loves others in the church. Moving on. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. This, in view of God's mercies, in view of the cross, and what Jesus has done for you, hate what is evil. Uh, true virtue, brothers and sisters, is not passive about evil but has an intense revulsion to it. Evil in our lives as Christians is not to be tolerated but despised as that which is injurious and wicked. Um, There could be a mindset, I can struggle with this too, but sort of like let me kind of get as close as I can to evil without actually being burned by it it will burn you. Our hearts, even the desire of asking the question of how far can I go is a question in the wrong direction. My question ought to be more how pure can I get? How much can I abhor what is evil in this situation and back off of that line rather than coming right up close to it. And listen, the the way that can be applied is just whatever situation you're battling or whatever your temptations to sin can be, I look and I'm saying, man, CB, are you, are you kind of trying to get close to the line? Or do you ha- are you obeying Scripture? CB, hate it. Don't tolerate it. Just because everybody else that you know in your Christian life, that, it's, that they're kind of pressing into it, and doesn't mean that God's allowing for you to do it, CB. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to your conscience. And if God's telling you, no, don't do that. Be the type of Christian to run away from that. It's a very godly thing. I think of Joseph in his temptation with Potiphar's wife. Just run, 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 run. Not get as close as you can without actually getting burned. Uh, one thing, make sure that you hate evil in yourself more than you hate evil in other people or hate evil in society. This is a big one. I think even particularly in our, just our recent climate with the election and things I, I, I just got to fight a constant tendency to be more passionate about more indignant toward societal evils and I'll even get up on a stump and you know and lay into that but what this passage is talking about it's talking about CB you you hate what is evil and the counterpart on the positive side is hold fast to what is good. There is this intense clinging to what is good and not kind of loosening your grip or loosening your conviction, starting to compromise. Some of you might be feeling that temptation, just kind of loosen your grip on some of the things that God has called you to do. and, And no, brother, no, sister, cling to that. This is really just, It's like indicating a life that is just being lived with the full armor of God. on. you are hating what is evil, you're clinging to what is good, and, and you're going to battle. You're taking life seriously, as opposed to sort of taking more of an attitude of just kind of kicking back and chilling when it comes to the Christian life. There should be a godly intensity about the way we hate evil and hold fast to what is good. We should be very tolerant towards the evil in others, and patient and compassionate, Uh, toward unbelievers, they're lost. That there's nothing else that they can do but sin. They're lost and going to hell. That ought to bring out my compassion. And brothers and sisters, where we see weaknesses, and if you're part of a church long enough, every church will start to see flaws, weaknesses, sins in the body, and you want to just be so patient as the Lord's been patient with you. You want to hate evil in yourself and be patient with it in others the way Jesus Christ has been toward us, who have been so slow to change. And Mark and I were talking about that last night, that God has been so patient with us. You know, and how, how dare I hold somebody else to the fire for being slow to change in an area when God has been so good to me. Uh, this passage here flows into verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You know, a way to check that your love is genuine, Are you devoted to your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church? Is there a heartfelt love evidenced by commitment to this local body? Do you merely attend this church? Or are you just embedded into the fabric of this church and part of its lifeblood? There's a difference. And it takes love to cross over that line from kind of being sort of an attender where you're you're coming really for you and how it benefits you, and saying, you know what? No, we're going deeper than that. We're going we're gonna to really love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. We're going to become a part of this living body and encourage this church with our life and our commitment. Tom Schreiner says that this word here, it talks about in the church there should be a warm family love that we have. A real family love. And I want, to th- I want to really just encourage all of you who are lonely. I love the scripture that says that God has put the lonely in a family. And listen, if your mother and father, if Psalm 27 rings true with you, that even your mother and father have forsaken you, behold your mother and your sister and your brother and your father and this church, this body that God's given to you this family. You know, you hear the statement, blood is thicker than water, but in Scripture you really do see that the Spirit is thicker than both. You know, what we have here in Christ, you know, the bonds of fellowship that exist between us, so precious, isn't it, brothers and sisters? It's just so strong. And I want to have a mindset of, like, when I'm in church, of not what am I getting out of this. I don't want that to be my first thing. I want it to be, how can I light somebody else up for Christ here tonight? How can I go to care group tonight and just encourage somebody or or a dog? (laughs) And I just I want to take that kind of mindset into it. In view of God's mercies and how he saved me, I want to offer my body up by loving people genuinely and with brotherly affection, with a family love. I don't want to hold people at a distance. I don't want to be all about me and mine, me and my family, the etter family. Everything's real tight with us, but we don't let anybody else in and we don't, Go broad in our Christian life. Listen, Sovereign Grace Church, our life is to be like a drink offering poured out for others. We are called to be broad in our relationships, reaching out and being a blessing to a broad range of people and welcoming them in, even strangers like the Good Samaritan did. Do not be slothful in zeal is the next command. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. What this is talking about, I love this little phrase, it just fires me up to no end, but It says, don't be lazy in diligence. Let there not be an indolence or a slackness. Instead of caving in to inactivity and just like, man, you know what, I'm done. Believers are called to be diligent and earnest and disciplined in their Christian lives. To always be seeking to grow. The counterpart to this phrase here, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. The counterpart to this fervency is sort of a laziness of spirit where we just really aren't pressing into the Lord. And listen, we can all be given to this at times. I I can be down in the dumps with the best of us. I have times where I am just so discouraged in my Christian life. And there's times where I'm aware that, you know what, I, I don't know what's happening here. I've not been really on fire for Jesus in this season. And you know what I can often trace it back to, and I don't know if you can find this as well, haven't you found that those have been times where your times in the Word haven't been real good? And your times in prayer? I mean, it's very simple, but just time with Jesus. like. And some of that can just be a lack of discipline in my life. I'm just so busy doing so many other things that honestly, I haven't even given God five minutes a day to read the Word. Because I'm just going, going, going. And my wife Shannon's message the other day of being absorbed with Jesus and choosing the greater portion. I, I just want to apply that in my own life and not be... Lazy and diligent, but I want to be sloth. I don't want to be slothful in zeal. I want to be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. What this means in terms of fervent in spirit, believers are to burn and seethe in their spirits. It's sort of like an image of a pot of boiling water, like on power burner. I love that. I love putting the power burner on and just watching that water just start to kind of bubble up and. And I just, that imagery there of like, you know, I think sometimes I like that because I'm going to be able to put the pasta in. I'm going to be able to eat quicker. But I, I love the water boiling in that image. Is that, That's what we are to be like as Christians. We're to be fervent in spirit and, and uh, serving the Lord in that. It's talking about walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, being on fire for Jesus. That's the type of imagery that that section there is called the. Uh, bring to mind and I'm going to share just uh, just a little bit at the very end in terms of a few other thoughts about zeal and we'll close with that in just a few moments but let's move on at this point rejoice in hope Christians are called as it says in the word here to rejoice in hope that means that we're filled with joy due to a hope that awaits us and this calls to mind that we as Christians are called to remember the second coming of Christ Christ He's going to be coming. He could come today. There's this urgency to the scriptures and and you see this in the New Testament of like this, Hosanna, come Lord Jesus. And so often I think in our churches, in our church today, especially in America, it's like we're clinging to having heaven here on earth. You know, just that these are the good times. This is nothing. This is the closest experience to hell that you're ever going to experience. This is not hell here. This is filled with so many blessings and God's common grace. But these are the hardest times you are ever going to have to go through, Christian. Isn't that good to know? This is not going to kind of go down and down and down and down and down and then you're just going to sink. Listen, we are going to have many hard times and times of tribulation and trial, and so many of you are in that, and my wife and I can resonate with that as well. It is so discouraging, but we have to remember, as the Word of God says here, CB, rejoice in hope. Because when Christ comes, this is all over. And the endless days of joy begin where you'll be with Jesus and you'll rule and reign with him in the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. I'm pumped. <laughs> and you know what? It's just like, listen, we've got to look at this and not just kind of treat that day as some far-off day that might happen. It's going to happen. I remember my pastor's college instructor, Mickey Connolly, down at the pastor's college back when I went back in 97 and 98. He summed up the words to the book of Revelation in two words, and it was this. You're going to love this. He just said, we win. (laughs) Don't you love that? We win. I mean, we're in this battle and we're fighting, but listen, we are fighting on the winning side. This is not just this pointless endeavor where we just kind of drudge through these lives with no hope at the end of it. It's going to be awesome. Hang in there, don't give up. It's like it's just gonna be a little bit longer, and we're gonna be with Jesus. So don't don't lose heart. As Galatians six nine says, No. Remember that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You're you're spending your life here wisely pouring your life into this church, pouring all of your finances out, church, like you've done with this building. It's awesome. Listen, that money has been so well spent and it's going to come back to you on Judgment Day when the Lord says, well done that you were about building my kingdom rather than building a kingdom for yourself. You have stored up treasures, not here on earth, but in heaven here, Sovereign Grace Church, and God has seen it all. Don't give up. Keep pressing in. Don't be discouraged by any of the things that you're seeing in that are discouraging to you as you look out at the world right now or or in the church or in our family of churches or anything like that. Listen, we have hope and that hope is in Jesus Christ and that hope cannot be shaken. This story is all playing out and guess what? Every one of our stories in here, if you're a Christian, every story in this room ends with a happy ending. <laughs> I love that. It gets me so excited. So that's why we can also, as the Word says next, be patient in tribulation. What this is calling us to is don't be a fair-weather Christian. You know, at the moment the doctor calls me and tells me, CB, you know, it's cancer. To where like God goes on the shelf in my heart and it's just like, I've got no other category but blessing on my life, Lord. And if you don't keep bringing the blessings, then my commitment to you is going to flag because of it. I don't want to be that type of Christian. I want to be the type of Christian that just weeps when that call comes. It just says, "How much time's left? I got another year." Well, then I'm going to pick up the pace. God help us to be these type of Christians. I'm not saying that's easy. You know, I would need all of you to help me. You know, and we would be there together. That's the church. We'll help each other in our most dire moments to cross the finish line together. And, But I want to be like this. And I see so many times a tendency in me to just like, just all I've got in my mind is, God, bring the blessing, bring the blessing. I'll rejoice over blessing, but don't you dare ever bring trial and hardship in my life and to be very impatient with the Lord or to hold him hostage in my heart, or to become bitter toward God, towards what he's brought. He has been so good to you. He's been so good to me. I mean, you just picture Jesus hanging there in agony on the cross whenever you're tempted, and remember, God has been so good to you. He loves you. And his mercies towards you, if you're a Christian, and you've repented of your sins and trusted in him, have been great mercies. And so in view of them, Be patient in tribulation. It's like the Lord sees there. It's hard. He knows. He's been tempted in every way as you have been, and yet was without sin. He knows. He's a high priest who can sympathize with you in every one of your weaknesses and temptations because he was pressed even harder than you were and resisted it. He resisted it. He fulfilled this passage of Scripture. Jesus did. Be constant in prayer. Let us be a people that are devoted to private and corporate prayer. Love your heart, church. The spirit of prayer that exists in this church, ladies, the way you gathered, had it on the calendar tonight to gather in prayer. And I was talking to two young women, two teen girls the other day. They were at the, the women's breakfast thing in the morning, then they were at Transform at night. Just this heart of you. Even having the women sing yesterday, had the guys decided to keep the meeting tonight, it would have been packed with all of you because of your heart, the way you pray, the way you cry out to God, the way you love the Lord. Don't give up with that. Keep pressing in. It's so worth it. Every meeting you go to, every small group meeting you go to, just have this heart of, Lord, I'm going. I just want to go and light others people up for Jesus. I want to go and pray. I want my life to be devoted to prayer. Prayer is central to the Christian life, one commentary says on this. And prayer doesn't happen naturally. You know, I was so encouraged by that. I read what Apostle Paul saying, you know, pray without ceasing. And I get so discouraged whenever I see things like that. Because so often I can go through an entire day and feel like I didn't even think about God today. Like it's so sad. But you know what? I'm inspired. I'm convicted. But I'm also inspired that, you know what, Lord, I can grow in this. Help me to put a reminder on my phone. For my lunch hour, to just take five minutes to pray down a list that I construct for prayer in the church or requests that I have on my heart for my family. And I can grow in this. Don't think it unspiritual to put like a reminder there. Sometimes when we talk about prayer, we can think of it as like if it doesn't happen spontaneously, that it's somehow less spiritual. No, plan to pray and and Plan to pray for a couple minutes. You know, sometimes I I can be like one of these guys. I'm I'm gonna fast for 40 days, and I'm gonna pray for an hour. I'm gonna be George Mueller. I'm gonna be up at 4 a.m. tomorrow, and the alarm goes off, and you're not George Mueller. You know, Uh, you're you're CB. You are weak. (laughs) Once you set little bitty goals for yourself, CB, uh, because that's that's all you can take. You're, You're even messing up on those. Oh man, but God's even got that covered. Amen. I remember Pete Griesley a couple years ago saying, Whenever you think of someone, pray for them. I love that. You know, and what's awesome about it is like if you're struggling with somebody, you know how you tend to think of them all the time? Like you'll pray for them the most. (laughs) So be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality, is the next section here. Marty and Marianne, thanks for your example of this. Um, The the word here is the koinos in the Greek. It means to share. Be a life that's just sharing the Lord with others and bringing and meeting the needs of others. Paul certainly believed here that all those in financial distress, inside and outside the church, should be, be provided with help. But he assigned priority to those in the believing community. Let's open up our homes. Let our homes be centers for ministry and not museums. You know, my dad calls the little kids in the church the curtain climbers. <laughs> and I've had the uh, people over in the church and their kids, like they're talking to us and their kids are running around and then I, I hear something crash and one of the curtain climbers has climbed the curtain and pulled the curtain rod down and, and I walk in and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> trying to like smile and let my love be genuine I want to take that little kid's head off and I'm like yeah how you doing man I see my curtain rods down and I'll you know just (laughs) trying to smile and you know what we've got care group leaders small group leaders in our church where their carpets are so worn down because they just had people in and out of their home and that's what I want I want our home to be a beehive you know where people are in and out being cared for and you know, don't make a big deal out of it. It doesn't have to be a three course meal. Just have people over for popcorn and enjoy. Maybe not popcorn because then the little kernels get in your couch and stuff. So that's another one with me. But You, know, you can always vacuum that out. So. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This does not firstly mean concern for persecutors around the world or pray for the persecuted church. What this is first talking about is personal opponents in your life that persecute you because of your faith in the gospel. Somebody at work, say, or somebody in your neighborhood who just looks at you and persecutes you for the way you're living as a Christian. Um, This is one of the most revolutionary passages in the New Testament, and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be persecuted and to love that person and pray for them as the Sermon on the Mount calls us to do. But that's what we're called to do. Let me quickly move to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This is a concrete indication of letting your love be genuine. Church, focus on this. Rejoicing with those who rejoice is harder than weeping with those who weep. So the early church father Chrysostom says. I agree. It's been so hard to just rejoice with those who are rejoicing. They're just talking about, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, and I'm so blessed. And you're thinking... My goodness, we're taking a beating right now. But to enter in and just really rejoice with that brother or sister, it takes the Holy Spirit to do and to weep with people who weep. It's a ministry in the church. You know, sometimes people are suffering, and that's the most lonely time in their life, and they need the church to rally around them. And not a lot of times, people in church they distance themselves because they would say, "This, you know, I just don't know what I would say to the person." You don't need to say a thing. That's what weeping with those who weeps all about. You go, you drop that meal off, but you weep with them for what they're going through. You don't have to have like some treatise on the sovereignty of God, which you're pouring out to them there in that moment. You're just, you're hugging them, you're weeping with them, and that conveys that love from Jesus to them. And church, you're that way here, and let us just press into that all the more. With rejoicing with those who rejoice, envy in a sense of competition, coveting, they all war against rejoicing with others as they rejoice. Because our attitude can kind of be, wow, well, must be nice for them. That's sort of the opposite of this spirit of truly rejoicing with those who are rejoicing when you're weeping because you're in so much difficulty in your trial. And that can reflect that kind of must be nice attitude. And I've had that sort of more of a bitter or hard heart toward God that I need to repent of. And there's a woman in our church right now, I'm just thinking of her. A couple weeks back, uh, their best friends just had their first baby. And they've been praying, both couples, that they would get pregnant. It's been the, the big prayer for both couples. And the couple that I'm about ready to talk about, the other couple, they must have prayed one time and got pregnant, had their baby, and we had the child dedication. This other couple, for years now, have been praying that God would bless them with a child, and, and it just hasn't been. And uh, This woman was there over their best friend's, uh, carriage and looking in at the baby during the baby dedication, just beaming and radiating and rejoicing with her friend as she rejoiced. I just, I just was. I looked at that from a distance and just started crying at the grace of God on her life. That takes the Holy Spirit's power. You know, my tendency to do is, you know what? I'm not going this Sunday. I'm not going. If they get blessed and I don't, I'm not going. I'm not going to show up. I'm going to, I'm going to protest, God, what you're doing in my life. That can be kind of the way my heart is, and I hate that that's there. Don't you? But there's something that God's calling us to is higher. I, I want to be like my friend Kelly Art in our church. Shannon and I have been so touched by it. I'm inspired by our example. Live in harmony with one another. Let there be unity in our thinking here, at Sovereign Grace Church. This was originally to both Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church, but... There's a diversity of gifts in this church as there was in the church in Rome. There's diversity of personality in this church as there was in the church in Rome. There's cultural differences um, that are are inevitable in the life of the church, but they should never lead us to disharmony. We are all to be focused on the cause of the gospel together and be committed to the authority of the word, thinking the same things. And finally, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Arrogance. That, is a, that pride can be an enemy to true Christian love. This word haughty here, don't be haughty, is the same as in First Timothy 6.17. It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Haughtiness is sort of a self, self-sufficient spirit, an independent spirit, a sense of I don't really need others, or even being above other people. For whatever reason, you just size somebody up and you tend to either put yourself above them and look down on them or you tend to look up and realize I'm not as godly as that person and you hate them for that. So it's just, haughtiness can be just so ugly. Believers should not avoid those who are of lower repute and relate only to those who can advance their own reputations. That's what this passage is talking about. There are some Christians who only relate upward. They've got no time for those who are, quote, beneath them. That's the way of the world. That should not be the way it is here, and it's not the way it is here. But let us press into this. Let there not be anybody that I wouldn't have time to talk to or reach out to. Um, let us re- reach out to people regardless of their rank or station in life. This word here, conceited, never be conceited, means don't ever be wise in your own eyes or view yourself as superior in wisdom to other people. You know, we can do this with Bible knowledge. Uh, somebody could kind of perceive that, hey, i got more Bible knowledge than this person in my small group. That means I'm better than them and kind of hold them in, in their hearts as lower than them because of it. No, we have a humble concern for everyone and should be treated as a dear and precious, valuable to God, person made in God's image, redeemed by the blood of Christ, and therefore everyone should be a focus of my love and concern both in the world but also within the church. And finally, I just want to say this. There's only one person who fulfilled this passage of Scripture. And his name is Jesus Christ. His love was always genuine. He always perfectly abhorred what was evil and clung to what was good. He was pressed and tempted in every way and yet did that. He always loved one another with brotherly affection. He outdid one another in showing honor perfectly. He was never slothful in zeal, but it says about him that zeal for my house consumed me. That's what it said about Jesus. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Jesus always did that perfectly. He always rejoiced in hope. He always was patient in tribulation perfectly. He was always constant in prayer. He always contributed to the needs of the saints and sought to show hospitality, even though he didn't have a place to lay his head. He always blessed those who persecuted him. He always blessed and didn't curse them. He always rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those who weep even now over your life. He, he always lived in harmony with one another. He was never haughty. He always associated with the lowly. And look, we got a room full of people because Jesus is willing to associate with the lowly. He was never conceited. he laid down his life as a spotless lamb in abject humiliation. He embraced the cross and he laid down his life for us. And that blood that he shed on the cross has washed away every deficiency. Wherever the Holy Spirit convicted you in this message, if you're a Christian in this room and you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, it's all been washed away. Isn't that great news? Every lack here, every lack of righteousness is damning in every one of us, because God calls us to be perfect in our obedience to this, every one of us falls short. i got good news for you on this front. Christ's righteousness in fulfilling this passage is your righteousness. He has fulfilled it perfectly, and when you believed in him, God the Father, and let this blow your mind, God the Father imputed Christ's perfect earning of this righteousness and perfect fulfillment of this one passage And he credited that perfect obedience to you and me, even though we all fall short of it still to this very day. This is the glory of the mercies of the gospel, isn't it? Aren't you so happy that God's like this? And in view of those mercies, this passage is simply saying this. In view of those mercies, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana... Take a spirit of we are going to run hard together all the way to the finish line. We're not going to stop. We're not going to become slack in our zeal. We're going to be fervent in our spirit, and we're going to serve the Lord together. Amen? I was at two funerals over the past year. One was a man who was in his 30s, who I think had around four children, and I was at another one of a man in his 40s. And, uh, And both were open casket funerals. And, you know, I... As I filed past there, I, I was just thinking of this in preparation for this message that, you know, you walk past and you just see that body laying there, you know, and you see family members and friends walking by and weeping at the loss, and yeah, I've just been thinking about this a lot, and I think as I get older, I think about it more, I just, see, be it's not going to be long before that's going to be you in there. family and friends will be walking by and you'll never have another opportunity again on this earth to like lift your finger to do something for Jesus again. So in light of that, press in CB. It's a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship, CB. Give Him all of who you are. Let those renegade spots in your heart that are there attack them with all your might. Don't tolerate that evil in you. Fight, fight, fight. Run, run, run. Fight resting. That the grace of God's got you covered. And rest fighting. And never give up. All the way to the end. Because he's so worthy of all that you can lay down to give to him. Is he not? So let's pray. May ask for the Lord to bless us with this. Lord, I just ask you for mercy on our lives. Lord, please, Holy Spirit, I pray if there's anybody right now, they just feel like, Lord, they've been slothful in their zeal. And, Lord, they've not been very much giving you all their whole heart. And they've had more of a slackness, as the text talks about, as opposed to being fervent in their spirit, seething as with that boiling water imagery. Lord God, I pray that every man, woman, and child in this church would be fervent in their spirit, serving the Lord. I pray that everyone here in this church would be a runner, for Jesus. Lord, we pray that every person here would press into that life of love, press into that life of obedience and followership of Jesus, never taking their eyes off of the mercies of God in Christ, always remembering their perfect standing that they have because of you, Jesus, always remembering that they've been justified by faith alone, but Lord, motivated. To say, Jesus, in light of all you've done and the mercies you poured out on me, I want to run all out, knowing, Lord God, that there's a day coming very soon when I'll never be able to serve you again on this earth, and I'll be in heaven. But I'll never be able to get the days back now that I have right in front of me right now. To press into being the Father you're calling me to be, to be the Mother you're calling us to be, to, to be the Christian, most importantly, you're calling us to be. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would fill us, Holy Spirit, with your zeal. And that zeal for your house, Lord, would consume us. I just ask for that blessing. I thank you so much for this church. because I see that here. Let it be more and more. And all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. There are more lost to reach. There are more people to be discipled. Lord God, this area so needs Jesus Christ and you are going to use these harvesters to go out into that field and harvest them for your glory. Use this church as an evangelistic powerhouse. Use this church as a discipleship powerhouse. Lord, protect and keep everyone in this church on fire for you. Let there be a renewal right now of commitment in their hearts to you to say, Lord, I've been spending my life on things less worthy of the gospel. And it stops today. I repent. Will you forgive me? And we know the answer to that is yes. Because you laid down your life for us. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.